Hello everyone and welcome back to the Books and Busy podcast where I open books and then I open my big mouth to talk about them. It's a very special episode today. We've got Bobby Palmer on to talk to us all about Isaac and the Egg and his new book, Small Hours, and I'm so excited to share this with you all. Well, hi, Bobby. Hi. So actually lovely to have you on the Books and Busy podcast. Um, super excited about it. You've been in like all my WhatsApp group chats and everyone who I've ever recommended your book to or told to read you have been like, guess who I'm speaking to? And I'm <laughs> so excited. So how are you doing? How are you feeling? Thank you for having me. Uh, it's Always. It's a pleasure to to be here, to, to virtually be here. Um yeah, I'm feeling good. I mean, I I, I should apologise to the listeners as 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 well. I, I did just say this to you that there is someone kind of sledgehammering next door's house apart in the in the kind of adjoining room. So that's what that is. Uh, <laughs> but it, it adds some ambience. Uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Um, I yeah, I'm I'm kind of just in the in the lead up to book two coming out. Uh, so that comes out on the 14th of March. So that's kind of gearing up, and then. I've just become a dad, so I've got a three-month-old daughter. So she has been quite time-consuming, but she's lovely. So yeah, it's been a busy time, basically. She is also the cutest. I, I saw you post a photo of her in like a post, and I was like, "This is hysterical and so cute." I'm biased, but I think so too. <laughs> I feel like yeah, but she actually is. I can yeah. it. <laughs> but everyone says that. So everyone says that about their own kids so it's nice when other people say it because I'm like oh yeah yeah, she is the cutest baby that's ever existed and you're like oh thanks I knew it but like thanks so much for thanks for validating validating. yeah yeah exactly (laughs) oh well I feel like I can't have you on we'll talk about small hours but without just talking about Isaac and the Egg dead quick so I was telling listeners I was telling Bobby before that like my mum's the only book she's read like all year and it took her from like 2023 and she finished it in January 24 um to read Isaac and the Egg and my book club's currently reading it also I've asked them for like some questions and they've thrown a few in um but Isaac and the Egg is the cutest loveliest heartwarming bit weird but in like the best way book I think I've like ever read and it's one of the ones that I'll never stop recommending just talk me through Isaac and the Egg I'm very intrigued how it, you sat there one day and uh, like this <laughs> it's um it's funny it's always funny when book clubs do it I can tell when a book club's done it because it'll you know I'll, I'll I, I I'm one of those authors who does check the goodreads every so often uh and you'll just see like 10 reviews will come in and five of them will be like I love this book and five of them will be like what like that was weird and 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 one star um so it's a marmite book uh it's yeah it is weird and i think i always wanted it to be weird i always knew it would be a weird book um because i didn't really have an interest in writing something kind of you know straightforward i liked the idea of of trying something different because the, all the books I like reading all the films I like watching are, are ones that are a bit quirky where you, you kind of struggle to compare them to something else yeah that said there the, you know it does have some comparisons my my very literary minded answer to how I came up with Isaac and the Egg is that I really liked this this trope in fiction um that you have in like um A Monster Calls by Patrick Ness or Grief is the Thing with Feathers by Max Porter where you would take the idea of grief and turn it into this 
monstrous thing that that is kind of there with you and you have to it's something outside of your side of yourself that you have to have to live with basically um the real answer is is not as literary uh when the star wars tv show the mandalorian first came out i was i was staying at my in-laws because my my now wife nina had just had a very minor operation i think i think i think she had a wisdom tooth out or something uh but i was kind of on my own watching tv feeling a bit glum feeling a bit like oh i'm i'm you know, she's upstairs in bed and and hope she's okay. And then I was watching this show, The Mandalorian, and it's got this character who at the time was going viral uh, everywhere called Baby Yoda. Uh, well, he's not called Baby Yoda, but he, he well, looks yeah. like a baby version of Yoda. So everyone was calling him Baby Yoda. Um, and I kind of just combined those two ideas in my head and thought, wouldn't it be great to write a book that's about kind of a lonely man and has all these really important themes of grief and mental health and is is something quite affecting and almost hard to read because it because it tackles these important topics but then baby yoda is also in it the whole time and that was that that was that was the idea for isaac and the egg so it, it it's a book that follows isaac who is a young man who's who's lost his wife and is suffering in all kinds of ways he finds a giant egg in the forest and people always ask me why an egg and i i cannot remember just, just always an egg um he why finds not? an egg in the forest yeah why not exactly <laughs> and you know there's all these kind of high-minded uh metaphors for like rebirth and regeneration but really it was just it was just a fun it was funny that you'd find an egg and you'd expect the egg to hatch and the egg would actually turn into a creature in itself and uh that's basically. I'm not spoiling too much because that happens in the first chapter. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's where I that's where Isaac and the Egg came from, and um, and it's been dividing audiences ever since. <laughs> Love that. Honestly, I also think it was just yeah, because if you start off and you say what happens, it's dark, and then you know he stood on the bridge. First chapter, so no spoilers. Um, <laughs> and then you're like. But I loved it. And I thought it was hysterical. I thought the whole book, but I did, like, if you've listened to like, my podcast review of this without spoiling it, I'm like, my favourite bits when they go a shop. <laughs> <laughs> everyone listens, it's like, you're not giving us much of that, but I can't. Like, just when they go the shop, that's the best bit. And it's so entertaining. Well, it's quite, a, it's quite, it's a book that I think benefits from being read knowing as little as possible because yeah. a lot a lot happen a lot happens towards yeah. the end that kind of reframes the narrative and uh isaac isn't really a, a trustworthy narrator and i think um going into it fairly blind is is probably the best experience you know i've, I've never been able to do that because i wrote it so i don't know <laughs> um <laughs> but i yeah i i think the reason it's funny or the reason people find it funny is because I when I first came up with that idea naturally thought it was just going to be an out and out comedy and I was like oh that would be funny that'd be a, a you know black comedy and it was only when I started writing it that it actually became I'd probably say it's it's less it's more tragedy than comedy it's more serious yeah. than it is but it's kind of a serious book with funny bits in it and and it was never supposed to be that and it was really just getting to know Isaac and his his late wife Mary getting to know the characters as I as I wrote them that it became 
a, a like a far different book to what I first intended it to be. And I, I always um, I always like it, it. It's not totally relevant, but it, I always come back to it in terms of um, that um, that kind of funny sad dichotomy is is the the in, inventor of breaking bad vince gilligan said that he always employs um comedy actors in in his serious shows because uh they can act seriously but serious people can't act funny and it, it's kind of like the same thing here it's like having the comedy first allowed me to then make it deep and and dark and serious but still have that lightness whereas yeah. if it had been a serious book and then i was like i'm gonna make this funny I, it just wouldn't really have worked uh so i think it kind of had to be that way right it had to start out as a comedy and then evolve yeah it was i think it's really hard to be able to do both sides of a coin and like do it so well and it was great and i also think like the depiction of grief was so like honest and I think obviously everyone I feel like who's gone through grief is sort of like related to it in different wonderful ways I wish I had an egg I feel like it would have been <laughs> a lot more entertaining but did you feel as though you had to like was there any like lived experience you had to like draw upon for that or is it just something that you kind of nothing heard? like nothing like Isaac's it was <laughs> well thankfully I yeah. it's it was a really interesting writing experience because I, I felt a lot of responsibility writing about such a nuanced and difficult topic and I knew that people would read this book who had lost uh, spouses partners um, even siblings you know it's that kind of that kind of losing someone so important to you so young I think is is what this book is about I I haven't been through that when I when I first started writing the book I was more interested in the kind of the effects of, of grief on Isaac. I was more interested in writing about uh, loneliness and depression in in young men specifically, because I, I don't feel like I'd read a lot of young male characters going through that kind of thing. So grief yeah. in the first case kind of was a vehicle for that. Um, then two things fed into it while I was writing it. I, I um, read a lot of grief memoir um so one particular book had a massive effect on me which is called say her name by francisco goldman that's about um it's a true story that the main character loses his um young girlfriend in a freak accident and he he kind of just splurges onto the page every raw emotion he feels in the um aftermath and it is just heartbreaking it, it destroys you it's such a difficult read i think um there's like a guardian review that something like it is it's almost too sad to read like it is that it's that that profound and that affecting but i do it, hate that i'm sat thinking do want to read it then well you know i'm the same no i've i've never sad. read a little life because everyone tells me it's so depressing and i'm like i don't just want to be depressed but it yeah. for for you know it's a very brave book because it's a true story and i and and it really helped me explore the kind of feelings that Isaac would be going through. I also read um, Joan Didion, C.S. Lewis's um, A Grief Observed. Those kinds of books were a real window into the kind of mindset that Isaac might have and allowed me to try and write from a kind of genuine yeah. perspective. You know, I, I think actually doing the research made me understand it a little bit more. Um, and then the second thing that happened is 
I was I, I was like at the start of that I said two things and then I can't remember what the second thing is. I remember what the I remember what the second thing is. The second thing that happened is um, I started writing the book and Mary, who was probably when I first started planning it, the the classic quote unquote dead wife trope. So you know in in films where you have a kind of a woman and under a billowing bedsheet and she's giggling and in flashback and that's all yeah. you ever see of her. That that was what Mary was like at, at the start and then. Isaac and Mary became this love story, this 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 kind of epic love story that is really half of the book. The book's almost a tandem love story between Isaac and Mary in the past and, and Isaac and the egg in the present. Yeah. Um, and the more of Isaac and Mary that I, I wrote and the more that she became a presence in the book, the more it became a book about grief because in the, in the, bleakest possible way I had to kind of put myself in the situation of being like what would what would happen if if I lost my partner and yeah. and there's so much of of my um relationship in Isaac and Mary because I think when you're writing a first book it's quite natural to just be like oh well the main character is me and his wife is my wife <laughs> so yeah. uh I think it was a weird experience for Nina reading it when I kind of killed her off but it was I think coming from a, a sincere place of how would I feel if if I lost the person most important to me um and I think I hate it when when artists say uh oh I had to I had to go to quite a dark place for this because it's Method. like yeah exactly and it's like well I didn't because it was a book and I was writing a book so I just I could close my laptop and forget about it um but I at least had to imagine do do the kind of emotional work of how would this actually feel beyond the the cliches and what you expect? Um, and you know, it means so much to me that the the I'm thankful that the book's been really well received. But the the, yeah. the most important thing to me is the messages I get and the emails I get that say I've been through this kind of grief and this book felt like my experience and it helped me. And uh, you know, one message like that is is all the vindication you need for writing something like this so to, to have had a few of them is, is really really nice yeah smashed it you sold like <laughs> you sold was it fifty thousand copies within your first year so yeah. <laughs> more than one was a big fan yeah yeah well Did that's like... that's also nice <laughs> like, like, like don't get me wrong i'm, I'm glad that i've also <laughs> sold loads of copies but um Did yeah you it's less you fashionable that so. many though as like your debut novel did you expect that? I think every author is kind of a, they're like 50% total self-doubt and 50% pure ego. So oh, um, I thought no one would read it, but I also thought it would be the, you know, best reviewed, best received book of all time. Um, I think I, I knew it was a, a strange book, so I wasn't sure if it would land with a wider audience I don't know yeah. I don't know like how many people would um get the egg thing or be or be prepared to kind of go along with it um but I I think I it was an easy book to write because I had a lot of confidence in the idea I knew I think I knew that it was a good idea or that it, it was at least an idea that worked and I'd, I'd written a book before which I never sold and I mean I was very confident in that when I wrote it so I think maybe I just have too much self-confidence um I I was I I was apprehensive 
obviously as you would as you are when you you publish anything especially your first book but I think from quite early on basically I'd had this experience with that other book where I'd, I'd got an agent and we'd taken it out to publishers and just no one wanted it no one was interested it was really devastating it was like two years of writing just ended up nothing happened with it the experience with Isaac and the Egg was was the exact opposite so we sent it out to publishers my agent loved it we sent it out to publishers and I think we had our first offer within about 24 hours so okay it was kind of you could you could tell that it was it was gonna do all right because I think in the publishing industry you can tell really far in advance of a book's publication if it's something that people are gonna people are talking about basically you know if there's hype but also if if you end up in an auction with with several different publishers for a book it means they they're going to want to spend marketing money to to recoup their advance back so you know it's all the publishing is a business so the publishing industry kind of decides what books are going to do well so you can you know there's there's no secret recipe to to making a book a bestseller or anything like that because if, if there was no book would ever fail but yeah. you can at least tell far enough in advance that like it's not going to have no readers uh so I, I i i was quite i was quite quietly confident and then the the first author endorsements we got were really really nice um and i think that, that was about uh yeah that was about a year a year before publication that they started to come in and as soon as that happened that was that you know that was a big weight off because every, everyone who's publishing your book is going to tell you it's good right and everyone yeah. who wants to publish your book is going to tell you it's good but when it starts going to readers that's when you that's when you panic I mean, uh, <laughs> but that's, I also think it's really interesting about like the first book that you wrote and obviously like didn't really take off and that's fine but I think that's even more important because of that didn't happen there and you hear debut and then you think okay mm. first ever how have they done mm. this like smashed it but then it's good to know that like I think I think just as many just as many debut authors will have it'll just be the first book that's published. I'm pretty sure um Mark Haddon who wrote The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime said he wrote five books before that. Um but that was just the first one that got published. You know, it's it is I think you just have to keep going and I'm so happy that it ended up like at the time I was distraught but I'm I'm so happy it ended up like it was like it did because you're only a debut once and the the publishing industry puts so much weight on being a debut author so if your debut book doesn't really uh, if it doesn't land in the way you want it to it's then very hard to build a career off that um because you never you can only be a debut once basically so yeah i in hindsight it it, makes me feel sick (laughs) it's scary scary. it's scary it's it's such a more so than any you know I'm, i'm a journalist i i kind i'm i'm dabbling in screenwriting i'm a copywriter so when you're a writer you kind of do all these different things publishing more than anything is it's such a hamster wheel because you're like okay my my first book's done all right but then if the next book doesn't do like just as well if not better then like what if then my my third book doesn't work and then and you just you you feel like you're kind of sprinting constantly uh, always thinking about the last book and the next book How do you feel about your next book? 
Uh, yeah, I feel I feel good. I it's it's um the second book is really hard. Any any author will tell you that the second book is really hard, and it took me a long time, and it went through a lot of rewrites. It it changed immensely throughout the writing process, which is something I I couldn't really say about Isaac and the Egg. Isaac and the Egg was always broadly the exact same book. Small Hours, which is my my new book, that started off as one thing and ended up as something else, which. You know, I'm not mad about it. It it, it needed to evolve, and it, it it it's become something that I I'm really proud of, and something that's that's very special to me. Um, it's out in March, so we're starting to get reader reviews, and I it's been really funny because because it's my second book, and because I was very fortunate about the reviews for Isaac and the Egg, I kind of was really dreading people reading the second one. Yeah. And and the reviews have been really nice, so, yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm 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 absolutely over the moon. You know, I I think the self doubt set in, and I worried that people wouldn't. You, you when you write a second book, you, you you have to write the exact same thing again, but also something totally different because you ha it has to work for everyone who liked Isaac and the Egg, but yeah. it has to also be different enough that that people don't just go, oh well, he's just written Isaac and the Egg again. So that was the challenge, and and thankfully. It doesn't feel totally like either of those two things. Uh, it, it, it's no, its own thing. Complement each other well. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's spiritual sequel is what I've kind of been been Look. saying because it, it, it's got a kind of similar. It's got a, a young man in it who's who's going through a crisis, and then there's a, a, a similar device to the egg, uh, but in this case, it's a it's a enigmatic little fox character um but then there's more than that yeah thank you um but there's more than that right there's 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 um his dad uh jerry jack's dad is uh a a voice in the book and also you have the voice of his mother hazel so i should probably explain what the book's about actually because i'm kind of just talking on it's um it's about a young man called jack who he has this perfect life in the city or or so he sees it he's, he's very stressed um, he kind of has the worst day of his life. He loses his job. He gets embroiled in this this uh, weird situation on the common where he has to rescue an injured fox. Uh, and then he gets a call from his sister saying that his mum's gone missing, uh, which which sends him home to the the countryside for the first time in years and to the dad that he hasn't spoken to in, in as many years. And he has a very fractured relationship with his father. Um, the book's basically about that, but it's also about the fox who... Uh, all I'll say is he shows up again in a kind of a yeah. different, a different way. Um, and it's basically a family drama, but with, with a fox in it. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm really, I'm so excited to, for it to be out there and, and for it to be in readers' hands. I, I love doing the, the whole book tour thing and we've got loads of events booked in, so I, I can't wait to do that. Um, and I also just, it's just got a really nice cover. So like, I haven't I haven't Look. seen it as a uh, as a book yet, but I think it's going to be a really gorgeous book. So I'm, I can't wait to hold it in my hands. I've got next to me. I've got a box of two thousand. Uh, I have to sign two thousand. They they kind of put the pages in in the yeah. printing process, so it's like two thousand. Oh, that's interesting. Didn't know well, that. otherwise otherwise they would have had to send me two thousand copies of Small Hours, which would probably take up this whole room. So I've got. Look, I'll show you. Is it just the, like the front page? The wow. listeners, the listeners can't can't see this, but you can. So it's like that, and then they they you know cut it down, put it in the book. I'm really I'm really spoiling trade secrets here, but yeah, I've got two thousand. Wow. 
so my that's my little mind blown. Yeah, didn't yeah. Know they did that. No, that's it's interesting. It's really interesting. And they come. That's that's comes straight from the the warehouse, and then it goes back to the wow. warehouse, and then goes into the big machine and goes gets slid in into the book. Yeah. The more you know, I've been thinking everyone's a lapse. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> well, I do. I you know you you have to do a lot of that as well. And and I I went to um. They with Isaac and the Egg, they did a, a Goldsboro Books in London did a special edition, and I had to go and do uh, sit there and do I think like two hundred and fifty or three hundred and fifty copies. And I think oh, there, there's yeah, a, there's yeah. a time lapse on my. If you scroll back on my Instagram, you can actually find it. There's like a time lapse of like this giant mountain of books slowly diminishing as I kind of spend two hours signing all like that after every two. Like yeah, honestly, I needed like. Uh, I needed like hydration and snacks and, and yeah. it only took me probably took me about 40 minutes but I was like oh this is the hardest thing anyone's ever had to do literally that's so me that would be like, yeah. what <laughs> I, I need to lie down yeah too much please coffee I'd have everyone fanning me <laughs> I basically did yeah 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 that was kind of the, the my, my publishing team were like rolling their eyes while they got me yeah. bottles of water and stuff I'm such a, a diva I love it <laughs> gotta be i also what i really enjoyed about small hours there's like two things that stood out one the fact that it was just multiple people's perspectives mm. normally i get lost in that <laughs> but i didn't in this which was nice and i think i really sort of in i think i gravitated a lot to like the sister because i yeah. am a sister yeah. so <laughs> i feel like i very much like loved her in the book and i was like just like generally was rooting for her but even like when she came into like the kitchen to have like like cereal i was like yeah you get that cereal so something that's funny about that is every and this is this has been really lovely is everyone who reads the book tends to gravitate towards one of the different characters yeah so my mum really liked hazel because hazel is a mum um but then a lot of people, especially people, this is kind of spoilery but it's quite hard to talk about the book without talking about that jerry the dad it's never really mentioned but it's sorry it's ne it's never named but he, he yeah. has something like dementia or alzheimer's people with personal experiences of that tend to really gravitate towards him or people who really appreciate nature and stuff like there's a lot of nature in his part so they really gravitate towards him um you know i i gravitate towards jack because he's a young man but he's probably the least interesting <laughs> character in the book um, but then young women reading it have like so many have said that they really like Charlotte, uh, the sister. Yeah. Funnily enough, I think the reason she because I, I I feel like I kind of did a lot with quite little of her. And the reason for that is because she was originally a point of view character. So I had chapters and chapters from her point of view. But it just it, it felt like her character was kind of better if you didn't go inside her head but you learned about her from the way she's perceived and then and then later on you kind of realize that that's not how she is yeah. um but yeah i know i'm 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 glad to hear it, it uh, something that i enjoyed about the multiple perspectives in this book was i really liked the idea of constantly deconstructing the same scenes over and over again but from the different perspectives uh yeah. of the different characters because the whole point of Jack and Jerry's relationship is it, it, it's years of missed opportunities and misconstrued moments and both of them being typical men who 
just won't talk to each other and won't won't bear their yeah. feelings and that's why they've they've got to the point they're at so i liked using them as kind of narrative devices to each of them thinks they're right each of them thinks that, that the other one is the the issue when when they're both the issue and 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 i think the female characters uh hazel and charlotte both kind of want to just bang their heads together the whole time yeah. but i think that but i think the whole concept of like masculinity in comparisons like emotion was obviously such a big theme and like Isaac and the Eggs mm. with Isaac I think you've done that the same but with two polar opposites and I also think Small Hours is like a book of like juxtaposition of yeah. like city to countryside mm. like nothing coming out here but it's all up here like yeah and it's also out. kind of the, the modern world to the the old natural yeah. world I think there's there's this real friction there and that the, you know Jack's dad is terrible at communication because he comes from a, a generation that's terrible at communication, but also because he lives in this old-fashioned Beatrix Potter world out in the countryside. But then Jack's terrible at communication because he it lives in the modern world and he's he's obsessed with work and his phone and stuff like that. And they they're just two different sides of the same coin. It's funny because I, you know, I, I think I I often get described as an author who writes about masculinity and male mental health and stuff like that and it, it, it's never an intention but i i i'm a man <laughs> so i i'm this a man and i have mental health so <laughs> naturally that's there you go that's what 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 feels like a comfortable um not even comfortable but i think it, it, it I, i'm really interested in exploring why me and other men my age act yeah. in the way we do and and have all these conversations about being really emotionally intelligent and and you know asking each other if you're really all right but it, it's often quite skin deep and we we are still just the same as as we've always been and and I think it's really interesting especially the way that men just don't talk yeah. and that's what this book is mainly about in a, in a lot of ways the fox exists as a conduit because yeah because these two men just won't talk and and it's for different reasons but it's ultimately the same problem yeah no couldn't agree more i would just like to talk about jerry because i sure. love him and he's just the cutest <laughs> um but when obviously it goes through different perspectives, his perspective and how you've written his chapters is sort of like in like stanzas almost of like mm. different when I first read like the first page of Jerry, I was like, is this meant to rhyme? And it's just not rhyming. And then like as I read it, I was like, oh no, obviously not. Um, but as I carried on, I thought, oh, that's interesting. That was a really interesting way because I presume it's to, pre this is me presuming, you are the author, so I could be wrong. But like the difference of, like the different, like the fragments of sort of his mm. head, because he's not very like streamlined in his thinking. Yeah, that's totally it. And, and you know, I, I, I actually don't think that I, as the author have any more should have any more uh kind of authority on the subject than you because if if it comes across in a certain way that's the only way it is you know i i can sit here and be like oh it was actually meant to be like this but you know your interpretation of the book is as valid as mine um it's basically yeah it's a fragmented mind he he i always i always wanted it to be vague enough that you know, Jerry is an older man and he has memory problems, which are getting worse. And th that is about as deep as I wanted to go into his condition. 
the thing is, I also had to write it in a way that made medical sense. And I had to do a lot of research because I didn't want it to come across as just a narrative device yeah. when there'd be, you know, everyone, everyone, pretty much everyone has ex some experience with dementia or Alzheimer's uh, in a loved one, um, including myself. Um, so I think I wanted it, I wanted the reader from a kind of skin deep level, from just a reading level to, to think when well, he might have had a stroke, he might have Alzheimer's, he might have dementia, or uh, it might be Parkinson's basically. Yeah. Um, and, and that I didn't want to, I wanted it to be vague enough so that I could play around with his mind without having to be too prescriptive. Um, but basically, yeah, he's, he's having memory problems and he's also kind of always been away with the fairies. Uh, yeah. that's, that's yeah. just his, his, his he, he doesn't get on well with other people. He's quite quiet. He loves animals and the natural world and he, he prefers to be on his own. So you're never really sure how much of what's going on in his head is because he's like that or because he's, you know, l losing his mind, not losing his mind, but losing something, um, changing, not always for the worse, but but changing. Um, so I had this idea. And once again, it's a bit like the egg in Isaac and the egg. It, it, it was never a conscious decision, but I always knew that his thoughts would be exploded onto either side of the page and that on one side of the page you'd have what was happening yeah. um and then on the other side of the page you'd have this kind of rambling poetic interior monologue which is almost like his mind drifting off somewhere else or, or how he's seeing the world and once again it's not necessarily because of his condition it's just because he's always distracted he's always thinking that the animals in his garden are talking to him or he's always looking at the trees um oh, but I, you know he was a joy to write he was so much fun to write because i think he it was fun creating it was fun creating a character in jack who was always dislikable and trying to redeem him and then it was fun writing a character in jerry who could conceivably both be this absent father figure that that would cause so much rage in jack but then when you actually got jerry's point of view you'd be like you are the nicest man yeah ever you're the nicest <laughs> man in the world so like what and and then the mystery would be like well why does jack feel so wronged by you and why you know how are you gonna what what's gonna happen between these two characters because you, I think you know from the start if Jack's a dick that he's probably gonna have to be redeemed in some way but Jerry's arc isn't really about redemption it's about lost time and it's about him I guess kind of reckoning with 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 what's happening to all the other characters he's he's i think he's described at one point as the the oak that stands yeah. firm in the middle of their family where where the others are, are sort of always changing so i think he was really just a great opportunity to to try something and to, to experiment and and his chapters were the really fun ones to write and definitely most people have said that they're the the, the fun ones to read I, I know when uh when nina my wife read it for the first time she was like Oh, I got really excited when when I'd start a Jerry chapter because I knew it was going to be 
yeah, a good yeah, I didn't know where it was going to take me, basically, yeah. Um, <laughs> it was. So, no. I, and I think you did, like, the complexities of, like, a family really well. Um, because I do think everyone is stubborn. Like, I'm so stubborn. And I always think I'm right. And likelihood is, I'm probably, like, half right. And but I think... Ev- everyone is the main character of their own story, right? Everyone too, thinks right? they're right all the time. <laughs> Uh, and and no one is right all the time so that's why I, I love writing those those kinds of um scenes and relationships where you constantly see it from other angles and you go like oh well I can see why you think you're right but also I can see why they think they're right and neither of you are right you're both idiots yeah l- literally literally <laughs> and you said about fox on the common how the fox first comes into it where did that come from that happened in real life um so it's really funny I I can't remember so this wasn't the this didn't happen to me and I thought I'm going to write a book about this but when (laughs) when I came when I first came up with the idea for the first idea for small hours you'll see how different it was was that you'd have a young man who is disillusioned with the modern world very who is Jack basically um who works in that kind of startup long hours no friends or colleagues world who would by the end of the book uh, go off and live in the woods with loads of talking animals <laughs> no. it didn't work it didn't work. <laughs> i tried it it didn't work um but that you know that became what small hours became and the catalyst then was okay jack loses his job um and he has to leave the city but this other element is something that happened to me and the the way it's written in the book is almost exactly as it happened apart from um I took some liberties with like the passers-by and also the fact that Jack's on his own whereas it was it it happened uh on one of mine and Nina's uh allotted daily walks during lockdown one so we were we were already I was already kind of look we were we were gonna move out of London and I I love London um but it yeah it can grind you down um so I was I was really interested in this idea of like that kind of fast life versus slow life, what you gain from living in the city, what you lose from it. But then also the, the opposite, you know, when you leave the city behind, I, I miss it. So I, I live in the countryside now. Um, I, I miss London so much. There's so much. It's such a beautiful, vibrant place. So I never wanted this to be about this. Like everyone should move out of the city. I wanted it to be like there's beauty in both if you look for it. Um but we were on this walk and we were on Tooting Common and out of the bushes just stumbles this fox and it's looks like it's dying, basically. It is it is just ravaged um by I mean, we thought it had been maybe hit by a train, it came off the yeah. train tracks, but it it was mange. Um but basically then there was this kind of like three hours long farcical experience of of kind of like calling the calling the rspca and uh, corralling this fox into a a driveway and 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 getting it water and and kind of just keeping it there and keeping an eye on it until until a van came and took the fox away and it was just a totally bizarre experience because i remember thinking there's such a like this is to talk about everyone thinking they're the main character. I remember thinking like, well, I don't, you know, I don't know if that fox is going to die. I don't know if that fox is going to be released into the countryside. 
I will never see that fox again. But I feel like we just shared something. Um, and really, I, I think writing this fox into my book and the fox becoming a main character was kind of an act of closure uh, for me and that fox because I was like, oh, well, I'm, I, you know, I, I feel like we could have been great friends. Um, I love foxes but as well. I think foxes are just like, an, um, like they are, if we're talking about uh contradictions they 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 walk that line between the old world and the new world between the city and the country between um the real and the the kind of mystical like you you see foxes all the time but every time you see one you're like whoa <laughs> fox um so i've always been fascinated with foxes and i i i i knew when i thought i'm going to write a book about a young man in the modern world who thinks animals are talking to him that the animal the main animal would be a fox Love. there I used to be a talking it. hedgehog as well <laughs> well i was just really gonna say you talk about sharing a moment with an animal once when i was in like primary school i was driving there was a baby hedgehog on it so i had to put gloves on and i looked after it for like a week oh like, really oh wow so, and are you still in touch <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> we shared something <laughs> and then like when i was older and i read like if you touch one and you didn't have gloves on the mum can't smell it and i was like oh no glad i did have gloves on otherwise i couldn't do yeah. that guilt it was, <laughs> one of the one of the things i loved about writing this book was doing all the the nature research because jerry's like a real uh yeah. nature so <laughs> the the thing i found one of the facts that i always still repeat to people is that hedgehogs are born in like so they're born with all their spikes but inside a kind of fluid sack so that they don't hurt their mum on the way out and then the the sack goes away and their spikes are all they don't grow the spikes they just have the spikes like no way yeah and if an owl if an owl is it if an owl has orange eyes if a bird has orange eyes it hunts in the day i think that's one yeah you're full up now i could keep going i could keep going i I will save you a nature theme pub quiz Oh, I'd, yeah, I'd Get nail it. you in. Yeah. If anyone, if any listeners want to invite me along to their nature-themed pub quiz, I'll be, <laughs> Get I'll be there. <laughs> Just dial me in. Dial me in as like a phone a friend. Phone a friend. Phone an author. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. Love that. That's so much. So, four small hours. Can you pre-order it if you can? I presume you can. Where you can. You do it? Oh, I, you know, I'd always say try and pre-order it from your your local independent bookshop. Um, but failing that, Waterstones. <laughs> it's out on the it's out on the 14th of March, and you can you can pre-order it online now. Fun, love that. So just before we round off, I would like to know three things. One, what are you currently reading? Oh, good question. Um, I. I'm reading. I'm actually reading three books at the same time at the moment, which is quite oh, rare for me. But that. no, but that is it's actually because I have really good reason for reading three books at the same time. One is because I I am reading one for fun, and that is The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett, which is brilliant. Okay, yes. I'm loving it. Um, it really reminds me of of kind of like where the crawdads sing that. So it's like it's it's a, it's a really entertaining, gripping book, uh, and I would highly recommend it. Then. Um, I have a books podcast called Book Chat with Pandora Sykes, and 
are we're recording our next episode next week so i am reading a book for that which is the unbearable lightness of being by milan kundera um so i've kind of put the vanishing half down to read that and then the third one i'm reading is will stores the science of storytelling um and that's a reread and that's because i have just started the really fun in between first draft and second draft stage of book three well that was going to be my third question. well there you go we can oh you've skipped one that's all right third book yeah what's the vibe what's going on Fill us I, in. so i can't really i can't really tell you anything about it because you know i don't even know if it's going to be published <laughs> um but what i will say is i think it is more ambitious there's a lot more voices um and if Small Hours is a spiritual sequel to Isaac and the Egg, then this is um, whatever the opposite is, because it's totally different to both of the first first two. I knew I couldn't get away with like having a, a, a furry sidekick for the third time in this book. So uh, it's um, <laughs> it's very much set in the real world, but all the all the fun and energy, because I, I always like to try and do something a bit different. All the yeah. fun and energy in this one is from the, the voice, the points of view. Um, and it's oh. a love story, which I thought would be quite fun. Like an epic, an epic love story. So, um, yeah, I'm just looking at my like, look at this. Like, this is like my my planning page. Oh. That's all the chapters. So it's got quite a few. <laughs> is it going to be a chunky book? Do you think? I I don't I don't like long books, but I can't stop myself from writing them. <laughs> Small hours was Small hours was really long when I first wrote it. Isaac the, the Egg is mercifully short. Small hours is is is. Yeah, it was it was a lot longer, but but I I dropped a whole point of view, and that was kind of when the book came into its own. I think it, it was like a quarter of it went, and I was like, ah, that works so much better. Yeah. Um, but I don't really I read like it on Kindle. You see, so I like uh, visually it, can't it remember. Look massive, but it's it is longer than Isaac and the Egg. It's like you know a little bit longer than Isaac and the Egg. Um, maybe like three hundred and fifty pages or something. Um, decent size. That. But, I, I think that's the perfect size. I, I don't like reading about this over 400 pages long. So I'm I'm hoping that my third book, I'll be able to rein myself in enough to not make it like a doorstopper. Honestly, I've just finished reading The Shards by Brett Easton Ellis. Is it's it? Outstanding book. And that's 600. Okay. And I was like, I better just start the year. Because he can be one. somewhat hit and miss. I've, I, to be fair, every book of his I've read, I've loved. But I know that people sometimes complain about him. <laughs> Yeah, well, love the book, <laughs> but that was long. But then I felt like it needed to be that long, which is yeah. odd because I've never it, felt like that. I, I don't mind a long book if it feels like it earns needed. it, but it has to earn. There are a lot of books nowadays are, are long because they needed an edit, basically, yeah. uh, which people will probably say about small hours. But um, I, yeah, I, I, there are long books that I've really enjoyed. Um, Great Circle is one I read recently, which is quite hefty, but is is yeah. absolutely brilliant. Maggie Shipster. What's your favourite book of Not all time? Like, but yeah, that's a big question. But like, yeah. if you could recommend. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Um, so oh, I'm gonna have to look at what I've read recently because there is there is a book that is slipping my mind that I read recently that I loved. Um, I, I don't really use Goodreads anymore, so I'm not sure I can even go back in time and read it. Um, Are you on Storygraph? 
No, I'm so I'm kind of I I don't really use Goodreads, but I'm not on anything else yet. I'm just writing down what I write in a what I read in a um oh, a note on my sweet. phone. Um, so I oh my god, yes, Shark Heart by Emily Haybeck. Okay, fun. That book, if you liked Isaac and the Egg, it, it it's like kind of similar vibe, but better. I shouldn't say that. Um, it's about a woman who um she. Well, it's about a woman and a man. They're, they're married, and the husband finds out that he's gonna—he's got a year until he turns into a great white shark. Uh, it's brilliant. What? It's absolutely what? brilliant, and it's, it's mad, and it's got like—it takes you in all—it's—it's it's that, but then it also goes off in all these other directions you don't expect. So that's like only—you expect that to be the whole story, but then that's only part of it. Um, so yeah, I'd really recommend that. And then favorite book of all time is *Mrs. Dalloway* by Virginia Woolf, which I think everyone who wants to write should read. Wow, smashed it the amount of books that are featured in this podcast episode of just like us talking about them there's loads love me good yeah, we like books we love books <laughs> we love to see it well thanks bobby you've been a joy as always so thank, thank you for to... having me and sorry about the the sledgehammering i only heard it like once I feel like okay I great over it after time. <laughs> cool. so that's fine that's good so 14th of march we can yep. order it now Local bookshop, if and out, Waterstones. Yeah. <laughs> wherever you wherever you like to get your books, I'm not picky. <laughs> Stunning. Oh, <laughs> thank you, Bobby. Thanks for having me. And I, I hope I hope people enjoy small hours. Thank you. Yeah, they will. Thank you guys so much for listening. <laughs>